0: Well...
1: Welcome to the world of the western esoteric tradition. and listeners. Welcome back to our new episode, released for you on August 16, 2018. My name is Rudolf, on Facebook and elsewhere, also known as Nothi, and it is a great pleasure to have you back for our episode number 5 in season 2. And if this happens to be the first time that you are listening to Thor's Hermes podcast, well... It is a great pleasure for me that you do so. I hope it will be a good experience and that you will come back very regularly. I am speaking to you from nearby Austrians capital Vienna, which seems just to have been named the world's most livable city, whatever that means. In this episode, our featured guest comes from Albuquerque, New Mexico. And I'm a bit ashamed that it is only the second time my interview partner is a woman. Sorry about that. I see this will have to change. Tracy Rowlin has written an excellent and very interesting book about a mythical figure, you could call her a saint, by the name of Santa Muerte, about the rituals and traditions related to her. This promises to be rather interesting. After the interview, stay with me for some more reviews and news from the book world. Of course, we are also going to listen to some music. For this episode, I have chosen to present to you a new heavy instrumental rock band by the name of KRPL from my country, Austria. I hope you will like what they have to offer. As always, here comes the information about who and what Thoth Hermes is. Thoth Hermes has appeared in April 2017 and is a podcast presenting extensive interviews with important authors and figures from the world of the Western esoteric tradition. Next to this... We also have a website which you can find on www.thothhermes.com, that is T H O T H E R M E S.com, and which brings to you all the show notes, previous episodes, news, etc. etc. Do check it out. But Thoth Hermes Podcast can not only be found on its website, but also on Apple Podcasts, Spreaker, Stitcher, Android, Blueberry, and since a few weeks you can also find us on Google Podcast and on Spotify. And now some feedback. It is really nice to be back with a regular episode schedule. You have welcomed our episode with Stephen Flowers very warmly. Thank you for that. Lots of downloads and positive feedback. Before we go any further, I want to let you know something about a book I reviewed last time, Mightiest Sea Spirit, published by Enodia Press. When I did that review, I was unable to access their webpage and could not get through to their owner either. So I expressed some concern about where one could get that book. But as it turned out, this was just a bad coincidence because they had transferred their website to another provider that day when I was checking. And in fact, all is in best order with Enodia Press which is great news. The podcast was already out when I realized this, but on the website you can find all the details how to receive and get their great book. My apologies for that. Talking about website, ours is, at the moment still in the background, undergoing a number of changes, which hopefully will make it more interesting and more attractive to all of you in the future last time i've told you that i will be only presenting very important and sustainable news here in the episode and in order to get more of your feedback and comments on the news present them in the future only on the website this will help us to stay more up to date and you will no longer have to wait for the new episode for a news item to appear the news blog as it will be called should be available in about 10 days from now, so before episode 6 of this season will come to you. Watch out on ThothHermes.com and go, visit, read and comment. Also, the Arts page, where I regularly present artists whose work uses subjects and reflects on the world of the occult and magic, has briefly been taken down this week. It will also receive a nice overhaul and will be back in a month or so, more interesting and more representative for the artists we want to get you to know. Having said that, I would like to invite you, once again, to let me know about artwork and artists that you think should be present on that page. And if you are yourself an artist, who works in the realm of the esoteric tradition, do make yourself known to me and send me a note. I will happy to get back to you and see how we can present your work. The same is by the way true for musicians. Talking about ongoing changes. This might sometimes cause that I overlook a missing image or a broken link or a mess on one of the pages. If you come across such a problem, please let me know. That would be very helpful. How to contact me? Here come the many possibilities that you have. Either write me an email on info at thoughthermes.com or send me a message via Facebook or Twitter. You might also want to use the contact page on the website. And if you are not so much into writing, but rather speaking to me, you do have the possibility to send me a 90 second voicemail for free. Just go on the website and find the corresponding tab to the right of the page. Honestly, I'm not quite sure what KRPL stands for. But, in any case, this is the name of an Austrian band I recently discovered and whose music I am going to play for you during this episode. Their very first studio album has just been released this month, so this is brand new. They have been around for about 5 years already and the Austrian scene knows them rather well. They present heavy instrumental rock so no vocals and therefore no lyrics this time on the website, but you will of course find a link to where to find the album and more information about them on the music page of the Thought Hermes website. As a first track, we are going to listen to their piece Nature of Force. Ladies and gentlemen, this is KRPL. Austrian heavy rock, played by K.R.P.L., and this title was named Nature of Force.
2: Here comes the interview.
1: Tracy Rowlin was born and raised in New Mexico, but her mother was born in Bavaria, Germany. That also meant that she had a rather Catholic upbringing and so saints and the rosary were no strangers to her as a child, but also the Nordic gods were part of her childhood. But when she then realized that she would not be able to be ordained as a priest under those circumstances, she turned to witchcraft and chaos magic. When she then discovered certain candles in a store in Albuquerque, She was not only puzzled, but began her own research about Santa Muerte, our lady of the holy death. I discovered Tracy's book a few months ago, and I am now very happy to be able to present to you an interview on a fascinating subject. Here comes Tracy Rowland. It is a great pleasure for me to welcome on Thoth Hermes podcast, Tracy Rowling. Hello, Tracy. How are you?
2: Hello. How are you, sir? I'm doing very well.
1: Tracy, it's been a while. I've been wanting to have you on Thoth Hermes and from my end, I had a few delays and I'm sorry about that. But finally, we came together and I'm very glad. Thank you for your patience once again. I came across your name, Tracy, because I found a very interesting book that you have written and it has been published towards the end of last year, I think, which is called Santa Muerte, the History, Rituals and Magic of Our Lady of the Holy Death. Well... I think we will have a few very interesting things to talk about. But before we do that, before we talk about the book and Santa Muerte, I'm curious to know a bit more about yourself and that you let our listeners know a bit about your background in general, as much as you want. But also, of course, how did you come to the subject of magic, of witchcraft, of occultism? Tell us a bit about yourself.
2: Absolutely. And thank you so much. Um, well, I was born and raised in New Mexico. Uh, my mother is a German immigrant. She was actually born in Bavaria. And my father is an American. Uh, when I was a little girl, I was raised a very, very, in a very, very devout Catholic sort of upbringing. I went to mass numerous times a week. Um, I went to Sunday school. It wasn't just Sunday school. It was on uh, multiple times a week. It was taught by nuns. It was uh, called catechism, if uh, any of your listeners are Catholic. So I was raised very much in this kind of thinking. And uh, my mother also raised me a lot of uh, a lot of the tales that she'd grown up on as a child of, you know, like Freya and Odin and all these kinds of things. So I grew up with kind of a mixed Catholic, mostly Catholic, with a little bit of a sprinkling of a um, Nordic kind of background on it. Um, I grew away from the Catholic Church when I was in my early teens. Um, it was more or less when I discovered that there was no way uh, that it's absolutely possible for me to become a priest. And I remember being <laughs> right. I was very enchanted as a child of uh, all the pageantry and all the people getting together, the feeling of powers, you know, people would sing hymns and pray together and that kind of thing. It's very tangible, you know. But mm-hmm. uh, when I found out that I couldn't really be um, part of those kind of ceremonies in the way that I wanted, I fell away from the Catholic Church, but I still at that point, aware that the idea of ritual, the idea of ceremony did have power and could have power. So I decided to look for that kind of power personally. So that's how I started um, studying magic. That's how I started studying witchcraft, ultimately, and very much fell away from the Catholic Church, of course, since Catholic Church does not get along with the idea of witchcraft very well. Um, regarding, uh, myself, like I said, um, I live here in Albuquerque, New Mexico. I'm a registered a nurse. I'm an emergency room nurse, actually got about 10 years of experience and that's just about me. So
1: great. Well, thank you for sharing that. Uh, may I ask uh, at what age approximately you got seriously in touch with magic and witchcraft where you're still a, a girl or where you're already uh, almost grown up? When did that happen?
2: I had studied, um, Some things of witchcraft. Um, My access, unfortunately, to uh, more extensive libraries wasn't really that great. I was just about limited to what was available in a Barnes & Noble bookstore in the metaphysical section at any point in time. Um, I found myself very interested in the idea of chaos magic in particular. When I was at the uh, age of 14, I got my hands on a copy of Lieber Chaos, and that left a very uh, strong mark on my magical practice and my way of looking at magic in general.
1: Mhm. Well, that that's very interesting. Yeah, Chaos Magic is has been for a lot of people In our generation, an entry point into this world, hasn't it?
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. At least for me, the thing that I found very comforting was instead of approaching the idea of changing your reality through forced will in terms of mythological or almost religious concepts, because at the time I was kind of stinging at the whole idea that I wasn't allowed to be a priest. I kind of really didn't like any kind of religious sort of imagery. Um, But a lot of the stuff in Chaos Magic was based on um, psychology, um, engineering, modern science, and stuff that was very familiar and comfortable to me so
1: right i might want to ask you a side question here uh, if i'm not wrong then chaos magic also needs a lot of well let's call it belief to to use a word that is related to my question um to into the powers of the individual to achieve something with magic would you agree Absolutely. on that The key to chaos
2: magic is flexibility as well as strength of belief.
1: Yeah, exactly. And is that belief, that's why I chose that word. And do you think that your background, your Catholic upbringing has helped you also with chaos magic or was your tendency to go to magic and witchcraft rather like a revolutionary act or a breaking with the past?
2: Um, I actually find that my uh, magical training, if you would, uh, via the Catholic Church, um, although I certainly didn't uh, intend to teach me any form of magic, was actually very helpful. Um, And a lot of Catholic um, ceremonies, um, they will uh, encourage you to very strongly visualize uh, divine figures such as saints while you're praying to them. Um, And when you're trained as a small child already to use your imagination in a directed, willed way, because remember, I was five, six, seven years old going to mass multiple times a week. Um, If you just change what it is that you're thinking about, you know, if you're no longer thinking of St. Jude, for example, but you start thinking about a flying spaghetti monster or something, um, your belief still has weight and it still has strength and still has that um, ability to create some kind of change. The biggest difficulty, I think, from coming from a Catholic background is the willingness to... Break the idea that that sort of imagery or the associations that it's always with the Catholic Church, it's always with God, always with that kind of thing. If you can get over that um, that hump or that issue, then it's actually very, very useful.
1: I find that approach extremely interesting, maybe also because I live here in the German speaking world in Austria, a very Catholic country still, yeah. and um, my upbringing was a bit similar like yours, maybe not several times a week, but at least once a week we went to Catholic church and my parents were also both very devout Catholics. And at some point in my life, then the, I broke out of it. But uh, I find your approach very interesting to say that you could use what you had learned as a child in a different way to approach magic. That's extremely fascinating, I think.
2: Absolutely. I'd have to say that the other major contribution my Catholic upbringing had to my magical practice, although this wouldn't have to do with chaos magic per se, but in terms of tool choices. um, I use meditation beads or rosaries extremely commonly with my uh, day-to-day magical practices, and the reason for it is I find that when you're trying to enter that kind of focused or light trance state, when you're trying to affect some kind of change, what's the first thing Mm -hmm. that's going to happen? You want scratch your butt, you want to readjust your glasses, you know, you want to start fidgeting, right? Um, well, if you have your hands busy, um, you're not going to fidget. All these impulses go away. It's very easy to achieve a sense of focus and a sense of timing um, and achieve that sense of uh, that sacred ritual that's necessary to get something going. Um, it's not actually an unusual idea. The Buddhists refer to the use of uh, meditation beads as taming the monkey mind as an aid in meditation. And of course, as you know, being raised Catholic, what does everyone have? A rosary. A <laughs> rosary. So, sure, there you go.
1: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely, (laughs) very interesting indeed. (laughs) Tracy, let's not go straight away into Santa Muerte, but um, now let's look a bit around in New Mexico, and I would like to take a very short phrase which is uh. In your book, I think, but also on the material that came along to me with your book, which I hold here in my hands. And that very first sentence only says, Death welcomes everyone. And I would like to stick for a few moments with that, um, that sentence, that phrase, because, um, before we go into the specific cult of lovely mother death, as you call her, um, would, how, how would death and what, what, What role would death play in your magical world in general, maybe even before you came to work with Santa Muerte or discovered her? uh, Was there any relation to that subject as well? And do you have any specific relationship with what death means to the human being, to our minds, to our bodies probably as well?
2: Absolutely. Um, Death and... Learning about death, working with powers and patrons associated with death, like uh, Kali, for example, has been a focus of my magical practice since I was probably, oh, 19 or 20 years old. Um, The way I came about this idea of focusing on this, because a lot of people in the West really don't like focusing on the idea of death, or they sort of only touch upon it or skim it, especially in their magical practice. And I think this is because we're acculturated to think of death as a negative thing, as a nasty force, as something that. Destroys It is cold. I mean, certainly look at our movies most frequently. I mean, you know, things like, you know, zombies wandering around, you know, the angry dead, ghosts haunting other people, um, mm-hmm. you know, whistle walking past a graveyard. Y- you get the idea. Okay. So oftentimes we're raised inside of this kind of cultural bubble related to death. But what always strikes me strange about it, and what started striking me strange about it in my later uh, teens and early adulthood um, is oftentimes we as magical practitioners will talk about, you know, learning and growing or achieving some kind of goal in this lifetime, and then going and reincarnating perhaps uh, numerous times until we learn everything in this earth's classroom, and then perhaps we go on to nirvana or nothingness or become gods ourselves. Um, Some people will say that when you die, you go to heaven. Right? I mean, that's what you're always yes. taught as a Catholic yeah. if you're a good Catholic. Yeah, if you so, have been good. <laughs> if you've been good, right. Um, so, with these kinds of ideas in mind, how is it possible that death is a nasty thing? Death is necessary for your spiritual development. Death is necessary for things to change, for any kind of cycle to turn at all. Things have to decay in order to have space for new living things to fill in that space. Um, one thing that you don't often uh, see focused upon in, I find this a lot in, um, nature-based kind of magical religious systems um and this isn't really meant as a christian as a criticism, it's just kind of a point of interest, is oftentimes you'll hear a lot about uh, the feminine divine principle being very, uh, very fruitful, being very generative, you know, a Mother Earth kind of thing. You'll know, hold bounty, the greenness, all of creation, you know, that mm-hmm. kind of idea. And that's all wonderful and beautiful, and it is. However, those same fields that are getting very green in the springtime had to be burned the last fall in order for them to remain as green and fertile as they are, okay, because ashes would, infer- would enrich the earth. And even ancient peoples um, would go like during a uh, uh, spring planting festivals. What were they doing? They were slaughtering spring lambs and going and uh, soaking the uh, seeds in the blood of those spring lambs because if those seeds didn't sprout, there was going to be a famine. And the reality was, is they're going to watch their friends and family starve to death. With that kind of fear in mind, and knowing how, how close death could be on the cusp of life, it's really not to me unusual to start thinking of death in these terms. But again, because we're acculturated and our modern age to not think of how close famine may be or how quickly we may die or when we do see images of death it's always given to us in a scary format we just don't think of that in terms of as magical practitioners. Does that make sense?
1: I think it does, absolutely. You said a word that I think is very important in that in those circumstances, that's fear. because I think human creature has for thousands of years tried to imagine what comes after death or what might come. Maybe nothingness maybe uh, revive maybe uh, paradise, whatever, all those imaginations, but nobody knows actually. And this creates an enormous kind of pressure and fear in everyone or in many people, not in everyone, luckily, but in many people. And isn't that isn't that negative approach to this or that negation even sometimes of of this also related to the fear that we create for ourselves by imagining what comes afterwards?
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. And if you're a magician, a magical practitioner, and you believe that in some way you're responsible for either creating or directing your reality by having such a intense abhorrence or you know, not wanting to get even near the idea of the end of your own cycle of this physical incarnation, I really think actually damage you as a magical practitioner, because you're actually creating uh, shackles around yourself that are dependent upon your current physical incarnation. If I'm an eternal cr- uh, creature, why am I so fixated on this form? You see absolutely. what I mean?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. Absolutely right. You mentioned the female part of death somehow, talking about the goddess and the rebirth of the goddess, etc. Now we're getting closer to Santa Muerte slowly. This is a very as opposed to many Western European and I believe also North American ways of painting this, which where you mostly have a, a male figure, at least it's it's addressed as a male personality. Here in the culture that we're going to talk about now, there is a a female impersonation of death. Uh, before we go into detail, do you think that that female approach of death um, changes a lot of the approach? Or is it just a coincidence? Or how would you see that?
2: Um, the power of death having a feminine uh, nature is actually a very ancient idea in Western Europe. Mm-hmm. Um, I can give you a couple different examples. For example, um, in ancient Greece, and of course, from the ancient Romans, because they adopted everything from the ancient Greeks, um, you had the three fates, the three goddesses who would uh, weave, measure, then eventually cut the thread of life. Okay, so you had yeah. um, Clothos, Lachesis, and Atropos, right? Mm-hmm. Well, the one who cut it, of course, was an old crone-like figure with a pair of scissors and in lieu of a scythe, and well, there you have it. You have death as the all powerful, implacable figure whose ability to affect the gods and affect the outcome of reality can't even be changed by Zeus, the king of the gods, because death's power is so overwhelming and so complete. Uh, Speaking back to that idea of death and the divine feminine being related, they even thought, the ancient Greeks and the ancient Romans, that whenever a woman was giving birth, that not only were the goddesses of childbirth and the spirits of childbirth available and assisting, that the goddess of death was also there waiting to first look at the child so she would know it at its final end and also to collect the mother – um we don't often think about this as well in western um uh, in uh, in the west um certainly in development countries this is still an issue but um childbirth and puerperal fever have been leading causes of death for women for thousands and thousands of years. Yeah, sure, so the idea yeah. of death being present at a birth was actually very logical and very natural. Mm-hmm. So even in the own tales I remember from when I was growing up, um, I was told stories when I was a child of Odin and Thor and Freya and Loki and all these different you know, um, Nordic gods mm-hmm. um, that goddess, the goddess of death that I became associated or that I became very familiar with uh, was the goddess Hela. So, of course, um, absolutely, you know, because what is it, you know, you die and if you don't go to Valhalla, you'll live in hell. But hell wasn't a terrible place full of flames and suffering and all that kind of business. It was actually just a place that you hung out until Ragnarok was there. And in
1: that Nordic tradition, you also have the three Norns who are weaving the three, in the same way that like the Greek goddesses did, are weaving the the threads of life and death. Yeah
2: exactly exactly so even as these uh, ancient cultures started to fade and you know uh you know history advanced itself um languages that had a latin base so we're talking like spanish and italian and what have you um the idea of death still had a feminine character OK, so uh, like in Spanish for de- uh, the word for death is muerte, la muerte. It's a feminine noun. Mm-hmm. Um, so when they start talking about ideas of death, it's already easy to put on a feminine twist because the word is already feminine. Um, we see this come to happen in uh the uh, time of the uh, uh, Black Plague, the bubonic plagues in Europe um, that swept through what in the uh, early 13th, uh, I'm sorry, early 14th century or 13th, 14th centuries. Mm-hmm. Um, what happens there is a lot of people believe, and remember, it's very Catholic and you know, everyone's very religious. They believe that God was sending punishment down for worldliness and fornication and carnality and all the things, all the sins of the world, basically. It's why he mm-hmm. was uh, killing anywhere between 30 to 60 percent of the population via bubonic plague. So the idea that death was a universal experience and it came for everyone equally. I mean, death didn't care if you're a king or some beggar in a back alleyway. Everyone was going to die, right? Yeah, sure. um, so you start having a lot of these images of um, death being a ubiquitous figure and death, you know, having power over everything. And so it's kind of this dance macabre kind of in, uh, imagery in these countries where you had uh, in these regions where you had death already having a feminine character because of a quirk of the language. You start seeing a feminine form of death appear, like a female version of the Grim Reaper, sometimes styled as like his wife. And as a gentler uh, female form of death, she could sometimes be bargained with. um, Sometimes she'd collect children, for example, things of that nature. Mm -hmm. So, and that imagery uh, persisted in Europe well through the 16th and 17th centuries. So...
1: Okay. Well, yeah. thank you for, for teaching me that because I wasn't aware of that. I just had in my personal uh, imagination those those images of the medieval uh, way of, as you said, during the play, you often see those representations on images of of, of the man, uh, the skeleton uh, face that, uh, and and the black coat and holding. uh Size. Yes, exactly. Sorry, um, and we're coming to that now immediately, going straight into the Mexican tradition that you are talking about here, um, and and so I wasn't aware of that, but absolutely right. Of course, reminding me that um, that there is a lot of female part to death already in in the background, and especially that childbirth presence of the of the goddess of death is something which I find personally very interesting, not only because it shows the danger to, that a mother goes through by giving birth, especially not in our high, highly civilized uh, and highly medicalized societies, let's put it that mm-hmm. way, but also for the, for the presence of death and birth at the same time. And there we are again in what you were mentioning, that birth needs death to a certain extent as well. Otherwise, the nat- nature cannot recreate itself without death.
2: Absolutely. As a matter of fact, the uh, goddess Atropos, when she showed up at Roman births, uh, they referred to her as uh, Parca uh, uh, Morta, the fate of death. Mm -hmm. Except when she arrived at a birth, she was referred to as as Parca Partula, which is the same where we get the word postpartum. Mm -hmm. Mm
1: -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Now, Santa Muerte, Tracy, before you tell us about her, how did you come upon her? How come that you, with your background, stumbled across Santa Muerte? What fascinated you and what attracted you to her, uh, to work with her? We're going to speak about that and also to then write that book.
2: Absolutely. I first encountered Santa Muerte in a grocery store of all things. And I started working with her um, out of, there's no better way to put it, frankly, other than I opened up my mouth, stuck in my foot and swallowed it all the way to my knee. So here's what happened. In grocery stores in the United States, particularly in the southwestern United States where there is a large Hispanic population, it is very common to find novena candles available for sale. Um, You're familiar with them, like the tall seven-day candles with like a picture of a saint on the front and usually a prayer on the back. Mm -hmm. Sure, sure. Um, Every grocery store sells these things here in New Mexico. And uh, oftentimes they will sell uh, blank novena candles, you know, just like a basic plain seven-day colored candle, like a red one or a yellow one or whatever. Mm -hmm. So I'll often visit this section of the grocery store, um, you know, just to pick up magical supplies. So uh, one day, uh, a little over 10 years ago, I was cruising down the grocery store aisle and I stopped in that section. And I looked down, and I noticed that there was an entire shelf dedicated to a skeleton saint, someone named uh, Santa Muerte. Now, I'd grown up in New Mexico, like I'd said, and I had never heard of this figure before. I did had never seen it, didn't know it, didn't know what this was all about. So, um, however, I did notice that this figure had more dedicated shelf space than both the Virgin Mary and Jesus combined, since that was obviously very strange to me being raised Catholic and considered how heavily venerated you know Jesus mm-hmm. and the Virgin Mary are, um, I got curious. I simply got curious. And uh, there were white candles, red candles, and black candles. I went and I grabbed a white candle because I figured you couldn't do too much harm with a white candle, right? Mm-hmm. Took it home. Um, I still had my rosary from when I was a little girl. So I went and I said a novena in the traditional Catholic fashion. And I looked at the candle and I said, Santa Muerte, I don't know who you are. I don't know what you are. I don't even know if you really exist. If you exist, prove it. Okay. So a few days later, um, I was dating this girl at this time who uh, liked to go to garage sales, you know, like uh, people put their things out for sale, you know, like old decorations or furniture, what have you. And uh, she'd come back. She likes to go to these things, these rummage sales. And she came to my house with a giant box of Halloween supplies. So she gives it to me because she thought I just had to have it. And I'm digging through and it's got rubber bats and rubber spiders and rubber snakes and this kind of thing. I get to the bottom of the box. There was a Santa Muerte statue in there with two newsprint prayer guides. In English and Spanish. So, right. So I challenged Santa Muerte to appear. She appeared all right. And that's basically why I keep working with Santa Muerte. Um, for a lot of people, it may be an issue of like personal faith. I mean, she is uh, regarded as an unofficial Catholic saint. So the ideas of strong religious, uh, religiosity easily get involved with Santa Muerte. But to be perfectly honest with you, I keep working with Santa Muerte and have continued because she keeps responding. And if the magic works, why would you stop? She's a generous, friendly spirit who's always helped me ever since I challenged her to appear. So that's my Santa Muerte practice.
1: Ah, great. That anti. Well, We'll probably go a bit deeper into the practice uh, a little bit later in this interview because I think it will be interesting. And it's also interesting, I must say, in your book that you are not just relating a story, but you're also really... Uh, telling about the work with Santa Muerte and giving giving rituals and giving ideas how to practice. Let's put it that way. Um, So we'll speak a bit more about that later. But now for those of our listeners who might not be aware of what Santa Muerte exactly represents and how she is venerated in Mexico, mostly, I believe, but probably elsewhere as well. Um, Can you tell us a bit more about her background, about... What is Santa Muerte? Where does she come from and how are people nowadays in religious and magical practices, I think we must say, how do they actually work with her nowadays?
2: Santa Muerte is actually pretty interesting because she comes to us as kind of a syncretic religious figure, you know, when um, people who believe different things and they come together over, you know, like warfare or trade or intermarrying, and then next, you know, a few generations later, you have a completely different set of ideas or set of beliefs. Uh, Mm -hmm. Santa Muerte is that kind of figure. Um, She is thought to actually come from um, not two, but actually three different kinds of sources. Um, The first source is, of course, an indigenous Aztec one. Um, They have this ancient goddess of theirs named Mictlancihuatl, who was the one of their principal gods of death and sacrifice that they had for their culture. Now, the idea of death and sacrifice was extremely important. The rationale behind it being that everything that the Aztecs had—you know, their food, their clothing, their shelter, their weapons—everything mm-hmm. had to come from and was created by something else that came from the earth. So, in a sense, uh, every man, woman, and child lived in constant debt to the earth earth, and so therefore offered a form of sacrifice to it. Uh, So oftentimes you'd have the Aztecs, they sacrificed everything. They would sacrifice food, clothing, jewelry, uh, perfumes, uh, alcohol, and certainly and most famously humans uh, in order to... (laughs) most famously, um, in, order most famously to, <laughs> in
3: order
2: to in order to meet this uh, level of debt that they felt that they had incurred simply by living so um, the idea of death being a very important part of that life cycle was absolutely intrinsic to Aztec thinking as a matter of fact when the Aztecs died what they thought happened was that they had to travel through the underworld in order to reach the um, temple or the palace of the goddess Miktaasihual who was their goddess of death and the idea was is that they were trying to get her to go back, go back down to them and accept them so that they could be reborn into the next age of mankind so in a sense even their goddess of death was their goddess of life and resurrection because that's how the next age of man would start. This was already a belief when um, the Spanish arrived in around 1521 or so. Of course, they brought with them uh, the ideas that we discussed earlier of the dance macabre, you know, very common, you know, because of the bubonic plague, you know, the idea of death being a constantly persistent thing that's always around the corner. And certainly Uh the idea of a feminine form of the Grim Reaper because of the, you know, Spanish having a, uh, you know, Latin... uh, latin ba- background or basis sure. so you have these two forms of a of a female uh, skeletal reaper kind of figure and then you have of course this uh long belief in this ancient uh, goddess so then the two come together and a lot of folks believe that that is the baseline of where santa muerte comes from now the third uh, aspect or element that is thought to influence some of santa muerte's ideas or certainly some of her religious practices or uh, magical practices also as well um would be the uh fact that after the spanish came in and conquered the aztecs um, what immediately followed was a plague of smallpox which of course killed quite a few people because smallpox is very virulent and very deadly and uh, everyone who survived the fault smallpox was left very weakened so they couldn't you know work the fields and take care of the herds and all this so of course right after the smallpox comes then comes a famine so uh, ultimately anywhere between 30 and 60% of the aztec uh, population also died uh, basically Hearing what had happened to the uh, Europeans on the bubonic plague and uh, <laughs> it, 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 basically what happened and um they were unable to work the fields like their new Spanish overlords wanted them to. So, of course, what did the Spaniards do? They weren't going to work uh, work themselves like that. So they went and simply purchased people from West Africa. And, of course, uh, uh, slavery is very common, obviously, at that t- uh, period in time. It was spread throughout the southeastern United States, throughout the West Indies, um, throughout uh, the northern part of South America, you know, Brazil, for example. And we see a lot of um, West African uh, religious practices Practices influencing magical systems that come from those reasons. I mean, voodoo, santeria, you think of like the uh, different Orishas, the seven different African powers. I mean, it's all very, in a sense, actually Catholicized to a degree because of the association with the different Catholic saints for different gods, uh, Mm a form of West African magic. So you'll have, you know, these same people who were unfortunately imported into Mexico. Obviously, they brought their beliefs with them, So which is why you'll sometimes see uh, Santa Muerte seems to share uh, several characteristics with other goddesses that are particular to that tradition, like Oya, for example, a goddess of cemeteries and also of thunderstorms, that kind of thing, um, mm-hmm. is also what a lot of people think. There are two different models uh, when working with Santa Muerte. There is um, a three-color model that divides uh, Santa Muerte's uh, portfolio of powers into three different aspects, and it's represented by which color of robe that she is wearing, which one you're working with. Um, that is a... Uh, Uh, Some would say a more traditional uh, version of working with Santa Muerte. However, um, the vastly more popular form of Santa Muerte is actually seven colors with almost a rainbow uh, set of robes. And that is where that is thought to come from is because of the syncretic issue from West African magic. So um, that would be the baseline for Santa Muerte's magical practice and where she comes from. Um, In terms of whether or not she is actually a Catholic saint, she is not a Catholic saint. She is not officially recognized. Um, there are some unofficial Catholic Saints uh, commonly referred to as folk saints because they're not on the official register that um, the Catholic Church um, openly tolerates and you know allows their veneration even inside of their own churches uh one of the uh, uh, saints I think of oftentimes is El Nino Fidencio who was a, uh, a an elevated uh healer and holy man that wound up being effectively sainted by the um you know cult of people that followed him and his church is so so well recognized and considered to be so benevolent and shall I say even benign um, that it is even recognized as an official religion by the uh, government of Mexico. Santa Muerte, by contrast, is not an official uh, Catholic saint. She is not uh, well tolerated by the Catholic Church at all. And the primary reasons for that is number one, um, she does not judge her followers for their actions because you do what you got to do. Um, death accepts everyone equally. That's the key. So if you're a criminal and you do criminal things, Santa Muerte is okay with that. And, well, a lot of folks wouldn't be, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, she also uh, tolerates a practice of witchcraft um, that is strictly forbidden, of course, to the Catholics. And... Uh, yeah, so put these kind of elements together. She's associated with criminals and criminality. You know, she's a um, dark death figure that accepts magic. The Catholics, it's no good. It's absolutely no good. But um, this hasn't stopped her popularity from uh, rising, perhaps even meteorically. Um, for example, uh, Santa Muerte is all over the media these days. If you watch a uh, 2014 yeah, movie absolutely. called The Book of Life, um, the character of La Muerte in the movie, that is supposed to be Santa Muerte. So, if anyone wants to know what Santa Muerte is like, go watch that movie.
1: Very interesting. Now let's take a break and listen again to Austrian band KRPL. Have you also always asked yourself why there are a certain number of video games with llamas in space? I remember the good old times of my Commodore 64 with them. Yes, friends, I'm that old already that I owned one of those. Whatever caused those poor animals to have a space helmet on their heads and travel through space with us players, Hmm. K.R.P.L. got inspired by them and they created a track called Space Llamas from Heaven. And that's the one we are now going to listen to. Lamas from Heaven by K.R.P.L. Tracy and I were going to try to answer the question why graveyards would be scary places. Tracy also gives some explanation on how to work with Santa Muerte and tells us that this tradition is certainly much bigger than just Latin American. And she reveals that the chaos magician is still a bit part of her own self. Something has happened to my microphone during that interview, so in that second part, when I speak, there is always a slight distortion. Well, luckily most of the time it was Tracy speaking anyway, and for the rest I tried to do my best in post-production, but I have to apologize for this slight technical disturbance. And here comes Tracy again. I get the impression that through Santa Merce, mm-hmm. um, there is a lot of media, film, movies, books, etc., going on. And not just books from the occult world or uh, specialized books like uh, but yours. Death and the way that death is venerated has become a, a topic that's more mainstream. Now, well, take. The Coco movie, you know, the, uh, the mm-hmm. big Disney hit. Do you have an explanation for that? Is is it the time? Is it Kali? What is it? What? Do, why do you think this this is going on?
2: Um, I think this is emblematic of an overall uh, larger Aeonic trend. Um, I think that, number one, we are turning away from, in general, I, uh, masculine ideals in terms of our religion and spirituality, which would explain, certainly in the last 60 or 70 years, the explosion of interest in uh, female-based or female-oriented um, you know, witchcraft and, you know, religious systems, what have you. Um, If you go ahead and combine that with what the idea of death represents, I talked about this a little bit earlier in uh, the beginning part of the interview, where death is not a bad thing. You have to cut down a field in order to grow a new you know crop the next spring and certainly as magical practitioners um death is critical to our success as magical practitioners so if you look at a lot of the things that are going on now um that a lot of people frankly don't like i think you said i think you said it best earlier when you said that perhaps uh we here uh weren't the more civilized of um Uh, cultures but perhaps more medicalized of cultures um no matter who you seem to be talking to whoever they fall on whatever side of religious spectrum um take a look out the window this world sucks man it really does you know we're hurting each other we're always fighting with each other no one can see eye to eye and everyone that i always talk to what's the first words out of their mouth man i want to stop this world and get off Mm-hmm. It's a death yeah. impulse is what it is. It's not a suicidal impulse. It's an impulse to want things to stop and to renew. And that is what death is all about. We understand that, I think. So hence we have an interest in death patrons combined with feminine death patrons. You wind up having an interest or resurgence of interest in a very particular uh, sort of divine feminine. For example, Kali is extremely popular. And if exactly. yeah. you think about it, as a, she's kind of a frightening figure if you're not familiar with her from Hindu you know, from Hindu religion, okay? I mean, you look at her from the West, you don't know anything about her. You have this tall, frightening woman, you know, with a garland of skulls around her neck and a skirt made of severed arms and dripping blood from her tongue and waving weapons around. And this is popular, you know what I mean? (laughs) 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 But if you understand that she actually represents, you know, the death of desire and the death of pain and no freedom from the world that we don't like... Oh yeah, she's popular. You see what I mean? <laughs>
1: yeah, sure, 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 absolutely. But anyway, I find your point of view and your explanation very optimistic, which is good, which I find good, because that would mean that more and more people start to realize something that we who practice magic on to see try to see always both sides of the of the coin, so to speak, uh, um, uh, that this. This way of thinking becomes more mainstream and which in itself, I think, would be good. Uh, Are you optimistic about that?
2: I am absolutely optimistic about that. Um, As ideas of alternate spirituality become more prevalent, more generally accepted. um, I hate to sound like I'm bashing Catholics here, but forgive me. That's my upbringing. What I think of when I think of that kind of thing is Um, if you died, if you were a good girl or perhaps in your case, a good boy, um, you would go to heaven, but it was a very exclusive kind of club. Okay. And if you screwed up to some degree, you might go to limbo okay mm, and if you mm. screwed up a lot you're going to hell and there's no way out okay and hell was going to be a terrible 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 place yeah. so anything that somehow managed to escape this cycle um, usually seemed to think of being I, I would say perhaps even devil touch think about the classic way they used to deal with vampires for example in medieval Europe okay they would go and they'd bury them at a crossroads you know cut their head off this kind of thing just the idea of death being such a terrible dangerous thing that could um, basically determine you know not the next 20 years of your life or your next incarnation but the rest of eternity okay being stabbed mm-hmm. in the butt with a pitchfork by the devil or you know eating you know honey cakes up in heaven which is it going to be um it, it's scary you know so sure. i really like but it's, the, a mean,
1: it's a means of power yeah it's, it's it,
2: it uh, is you know f- yeah. you know fear controls it really does so i really like the um I like, I almost think of like worldwide syncretism at this point. That's why I love the internet. That's why I love being able to talk to people all over the world. Because, you know, you start hearing people like, for example, in Asian countries, ancestor worship is extremely common, okay? So, you know, your mother dies, your grandmother dies, and you expect that the family will, you know, take care of you even unto death. If you look at it that way, a graveyard, how can it possibly be a scary place? It's full of grandparents, Okay. (laughs) You don't look at that way until you start thinking about, or at least I didn't anyway, until I started thinking about how awesome it was that Asians venerated their culture. And it's like, why am I not venerating my own ancestral bloodline? How is a graveyard a terrible place? Grandparents, brothers, sisters, you know?
1: Absolutely, I maybe mean, maybe sometimes more those huge uh, uh, granite uh, granite stones and huge monuments on the graveyards there that can be pretty if you like them, but that can also be scary.
2: <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Some scary. And big they guy. are
1: of course built in that way be, to to be scary.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. But yeah, so I think the um, prevalence of people talking to other people and um, I hate to say some breaking of the power of of Western religious ideals that have pushed that idea of death being so frightening and the final arbiter of whether or not you were screwed is actually a very good thing and I hope it expands in the future. (sighs)
1: You know, uh, I think the, the fact that death is the possibility, a means of, of of using the power of an organization, because the Catholic Church in that way is an organization. That's typical for many movements uh, who, under the aspect of being positive and the aspect of bringing uh, a good message or salvation or whatever, in fact, are using the power to control people. And here, uh, in that we call it syncretism, but in the way of combining thoughts, something new can can expand, and something new can can be created. And to me, that's a one of the fascinating sides of Sigmund Freud and other similar expressions
2: absolutely it's funny that in death something is supposed to be so frightening and that we've been acculturated to be so fearful of that we could find hope and renewal within it and i think that's really what uh, santa muerte is more about is about hope and renewal not just about death destruction and decay that's one of the reasons i'm so eager and so happy to work with her because sometimes people say you know you know who do you worship who do you work with and i'll tell them santa muerte and they're like oh the power of death that's terrible it's like no it's great (laughs) it's really great
1: absolutely you know, I'm going to ask you a difficult question now because, uh, and it's not difficult, just specifically in relation to something. Working about something, working is rather a good example for that kind of difficult question or answer. Um, I- of course, one could say the Santa Muerte uh, um, work is very much related to a certain culture, to uh, Latin American, West Indian, uh, etc., uh, um, um, culture and background. But you have a completely different background, and you seem very, not only happy, but also very related to that culture and very related to that um, practice, let's put it that way, and mm. it doesn't seem to create any problem for you now there are other people who say you cannot really truly practice a a certain kind of magic or a certain kind of spirituality if Mm. your cultural background is not from where that uh, practice comes from um how do you relate to that i mean i know it's a tricky question one can be bashed from both ends for saying whatever you answer but um, just if you want, honestly, what's your opinion on that? Um, can a non-Hopi Indian, can he practice Hopi Indian uh, um, spirituality? Can somebody uh, who is not from from the West Indies or Mexico truly incarnate uh, to practice? <laughs>
2: Um, that is a very interesting question especially that you bring up Native American pueblos in particular. Mm. Um, to give you sort of a general broad answer, I would say that it depends largely upon the spirit upon which with which whom you were working um, no matter what style what your baseline style of magic is now I said uh, earlier that I'm a chaos magician so my baseline style of magic tends to wander all over the place because. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Chaos magic. Exactly. <laughs> but whether or not you consider yourself more of a ceremonial magician, perhaps, or more of a, you know, traditional European witch or what have you. Okay, if you're going to do this kind of magic, it's spirit-assisted magic. Some people would actually call it shamanic magic uh, just because of the strong assistance and aid you get from a spirit. Um, Mm -hmm. Some people go even call it shamanic witchcraft because a lot of the uh, practices, even normal Native practices that were not influenced uh, by Europeans, uh, for example, uh, local uh, Native Americans before the Europeans ever showed up used to make uh, corn uh, poppets, like corn voodoo dolls almost, like corn husks, and they'd stab them with uh, cat. Uh, Cactus, cactus thorns to get back at their, uh, enemies and uh, neighbors that they didn't like. So, you know, poppet magic, tying it up. I mean, that's, you usually think, oh, that's classic Western magic. Well, it's classic everyone magic basically. Mm -hmm. But, um, and that's, again, that's the chaos magician in me speaking. It's classic everyone magic basically.
3: Um,
2: But when you're working with those particular kinds of spirits, um, you have to make sure that those kinds of spirits are going to accept you. Because if those kinds of spirits don't like females or they don't like people with red hair or whatever it may be, if you're a female with red hair, you got a problem.
3: Okay. Uh Uh
2: Um, Sometimes Uh I think it may be culturally dictated. The reason I thought it was uh, particularly interesting that you brought up Native Americans. Um, My parents divorced and my mother uh, remarried the shaman for the Owinge um, uh, reservation here in New Mexico. Right. So, uh, and my mother, as I mentioned earlier, is a German national. Now, um, some Native American reservations, um, some of the Hopi, for example, some of the Navajo for some of their ceremonies don't mind if non-Hopi or non-Hopi or non-Navajo witnesses events that they're having, you know, dance or what have you, um, The uh, it used to be the San Juan Pueblo. Um, that particular Pueblo uh, does not share that belief. And even though uh, my stepfather is the shaman, he, not, he dances, he does everything, he's always up there, um, his own wife isn't even allowed on reservation land while he's doing it. Okay. Because... Yeah, so that's my mom, and there you have it. Yeah. So that's why I thought it's yeah, interesting yeah. you brought up Native American reservations. I see, yeah, In particular yeah. to Santa Muerte, um, I have heard some people say, basically, you're a white girl from New Mexico. You have no business working with this Hispanic folk saint or this Mexican folk saint, the same Hispanic folk saint who is based upon the Aztecs, who is based upon European magic, who is based upon the idea that death is universal. Mm-hmm. I'm not seeing it. You see what I'm saying? So, of course, Absolutely. some people yeah. argue, you know, cultural appropriation, and certainly they're entitled to their opinions. However, given the nature of Santa Muerte, and given the nature that death is supposed to be universal, and given, frankly, that Santa Muerte seems to want to I I hate to say break out of Mexican culture, I think she be adopted by more peoples okay that's why i think there's such a strong spiritual trend to get her out into the mass mainstream to get her out into the media to get her exposed in front of other people who never would have even heard of her because even me 10 years ago grocery store who is this lady i had no idea sure. i grew up in new sure. mexico okay yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. what chance do you have you don't have none yeah, but you know you're talking about the movie coco we're talking about you know movie book of life you know american horror story you can get Santa more image on vac- virtually everything I personally think that her explosion of popularity outside of her usual cultural sphere is her wanting to say to Europeans, is her wanting to say to whoever, hey I'm here and I'm willing to help you, I'm always around, death is here for you Mm -hmm. so that's how this white German girl got into Santa Muerte basically
1: (laughs) (laughs) Very very interesting, well thank you you for explaining it that way because it's really it's really fascinating and i think the approach to to see the answer in the spirit and not in the magician i think that's a very a very nice approach and a very clever answer to the to the tricky question that i asked you
2: well to to be perfectly honest with you sir um when you're dealing with the spirit and whether or not the spirit is going to be okay working with a magical system it's not a human opinion that matters
1: yeah absolutely, absolutely. So. <laughs> that, that closed it up absolutely absolutely but would you say that santa muerte is in um, a saint I, I i use that word now um, for also for a lot a lot being admired and, and venerated by those who live on the fringes of society is she related to those people more than to to others
2: Santa Muerte is related to those who are more heartfelt and honest, Mm -hmm. Um, people, frankly, who live in good positions, okay, like they don't have to worry about not being able to pay the rent. They don't live in a nasty crime-ridden ghetto, okay, where they're going to get shot going, you know, out to go get some milk, okay. They don't have drug addiction running rampant in the families. They don't have all these problems, okay, because we're talking poor, marginalized people. and What do you have in poor, marginalized areas? These kinds of problems, unfortunately. Um, If they have no need to, uh, if they don't have any of these kind of cultural pressures or social pressures, okay, um, one, uh, A big group of people that tend to follow Santa Muerte. Uh, The uh, lesbian, gay, uh, bi, transgender community, the LGBT community.
3: Mm -hmm. Um,
2: Mexico is predominantly Catholic. Homosexuality is very, very forbidden. Okay. And, you know, being, you know, homosexual or being known to be lesbian or something, Mm -hmm. you know, it can get you, you can't get a job, you can't get all kinds of stuff just because, oh my God, this guy sleeps with other guys, you know, which. To me, whatever you know. Yeah. But uh, if you are not in a position where you are already marginalized, you are not going to have a reason to call on the saint of those who are marginalized. So (laughs) it just (laughs) seems to make sense. So, um, hence uh, Santa Muerte winds up becoming associated with these folks. But what's interesting about it is. Those folks who you wouldn't necessarily consider to be, quote, on the marginalized edge of society, police officers, for example, paramedics, um, those folks who work with those kinds of communities, again, it's almost like a syncretism kind of issue, um, will find themselves venerating Santa Marta and finding her easily responding. My own father um, is a, well, he's just retired now, but he is a uh, police detective with over 35 years of experience here in New Mexico. And a lot of the folks that he dealt with, a lot of the issues he dealt with because he's a detective, you know, homicide drug running cases i'm only 350 miles from the mexican border yeah. okay so i'm yeah. right in the middle of um the, uh, of the uh of the narco uh territory coming to the united states yeah. like it's major drug corridor mm-hmm. so um he would have folks who came into his office and he'd want to interview them and they'd be kind of closed lip because um my father's a polish guy from chicago okay right. so there you go. Um, he wound up bringing in a Santa Muerte statue, a green one, okay, associated with the ideas of justice and balance and that kind of thing.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And he kept it in his office. And once he put that statue in there, then he noticed the people he brought in. They take one look at the statue. Then they start talking. Really? Yep. Yep.
1: Yeah. That's interesting. So, yeah. yeah. Very interesting. Very interesting.
2: Yeah. So my father, the police officer, the Chicago Polish cop, um, who is a Vietnam vet, um, now says rosaries to Santa Muerte because he's still a good Catholic and he prays to that statue. But again, talking about people who you wouldn't think meet the profile.
1: Sure. Sure. Well, so that's that's Nina Verde, the just judge, right? The, yep. Absolutely.
2: Right.
1: Absolutely. Right. <laughs> Yeah, interesting. Well, coming back to those colors, because you mentioned the three colors first, and then the seven colors in in another way. And so the three colors will probably be uh, white, black and red, right? Is that correct? Yes, sir. Yeah. And then in your book, you speak about the seven, the seven ninjas, the seven girls, actually, Mm -hmm. uh, um, in the seven different colors. Can you say just briefly a few words about them?
2: Absolutely, absolutely. Um, Santa Muerte is often believed to have a very uh, charismatic, very vivacious, very friendly kind of nature. So when you hear her uh, refer to it in you know, different terms, you'll always uh, hear her refer to as the the beautiful skinny girl or the lovely girl or the sort of an idea of a young feminine figure, very common. So I refer to these seven different versions of Santa Muerte, the seven colors, as the seven girls for that reason. Mm-hmm. Um, like I mentioned earlier, uh, each color dictates the uh, kind of portfolio of powers that she has access to. Uh, Santa Muerte is a very interesting figure um, and the ultimate power, embodied power of the force of death. She has access and the ability to touch or change anything that is manifest in reality and is therefore subject to decay. And if I just told you that Santa Muerte can basically touch everything in reality, that is correct, because that's the power of death. Um, Even if you look at certain uh, different versions of uh, early versions of the Bible, you know, when God's creating, you know, the heavens and the earth and, you know, separating the sky and all this kind of thing. um, One of the first things he creates before, you know, the firmaments and before the oceans is he actually creates the power of death. Why? Because of power of death, creates the ability for things to change. Mm-hmm. so with that in mind um, Santa Marte can affect just about everything which is why I prefer to work with her seven different color uh, uh, model because frankly I think it's just easier to be able to aspect her broad for- portfolio powers because you've got seven different things to choose from <laughs> <Yeah>. so <laughs> and you can combine them and kind of work with them it's just, it just makes it easy okay and again this is a chaos magician in me easy and works that's what I want Yeah,
1: yeah. I, so, I love that combination I think it's very <laughs> fascinating honestly <laughs>
2: <laughs> so Santa Marta, like I said, seven colors. Uh, she's got a a white aspect a blue aspect a green aspect a red aspect a gold aspect a purple aspect of course a black aspect so um, these colors do not this is one thing that sometimes gets people these colors do not map on to classic um, shall I say western European ideas of what color goes to which for example if um, you ask your usual witch I'm going to I need some kind of money magic spell what is she going to do she's going to whip a green candle and green stuff and green because you know growth and generativity and certainly here in the united states our money is green so we think of green you know (laughs) (laughs) um well you know um um, that uh, green aspect of Santa Muerte is actually related to, like we mentioned a few minutes ago, has to do with justice, balance, law giving. She's often referred to as the just judge for that reason. Mm-hmm. So, if you're going to her looking for help with money, we well, are probably looking for help with his trouble with the tax authorities, see? <laughs> so, <laughs> which you know, we probably don't want. So, if you wanted to get a nice job, um, or to have a ton of money and fall out of the sky and out of nowhere, the gold aspect Santa Muerte is actually the one you would want. And not necessi- And actually, if you think it has to do with um, um, gold being classical money, that is actually correct. Um, the reason why is gods of death have always classically been associated with money. Did you know that?
1: Yeah. No, I didn't know that. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, um, mining is a very dangerous occupation, and certainly it was, you know, two, three, four thousand years ago in ancient <laughs> Greece or what have you. And if you were taking wealth uh, from the ground, you were basically taking wealth from Hades or you know whoever you know the local death god was. Mm-hmm. So that's the second thing. So of course, if they killed you, well, that was their tax for you know robbing them basically. Right. <laughs> And um, of course, gold is extraordinarily valuable. Gold and silver, the coinage metals, but they themselves are totally useless. You can't make a weapon out of them, you can't build a house, you can't make gold clothing. I mean, it's useless. Yeah. But yeah. uh, it's actually traded for literally everything we need in order to live. Okay. If you wanted a bushel of um, you know, wool or you know, you know, water you know, water skin full of wine or something, yeah. you had to have the gold or silver to pay for it. Yeah. So um, it winds up uh, this thing that's so valuable, this um, death thing in a sense, is totally useless. List, winds up being exchanged for every thing we need in order to live so it winds up creating this interesting inverted relationship between death life and the gods of death and the power of money which is why the gold aspect of Santa Muerte is the one who would give you um you know like a new job but if I fell down the stairs after this interview and broke my leg she's also the same one I pray to fix it because of that living vitality that she represents through money
1: yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> very, interesting, very interesting. Would you? I mean, maybe it's stupid to categorize that way, but would you see Santa Muerte uh, translated into the Western tradition in in to the left hand path or right hand path or none of them?
2: Um. I think it would also actually, frankly, depend on the practitioner and their own personal spiritual trajectory. Mm-hmm. Um, I would usually describe myself as being so far up the left hand path, I'm coming out the right hand side again. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, if you think your ultimate end result is talking about how the idea is you're supposed to reincarnate and you know learn all of your lessons and so forth, yeah. um, if I asked you what your win condition was, okay, yeah. Yeah. Um, what, what would it be? Okay, a lot of folks would say, well, I want to ascend to a state of. You know perfect fusion with reality or perfect nirvana or something like that kind of this right hand path kind of ideal and i'm using these ideas from the lords of the left hand path by stephen flowers it's how yeah. defining these um well then sure you can certainly use death to achieve those ends but if you're like me and like i said i look out the window and the world sucks and whoever's running this i uh, need a kick in the pants mm. um i don't want to be part of this reality sphere anymore i wish to go very far away from it okay yeah, yeah. so hence really my left hand path Kind of ideal, and yeah. hence I would like to leverage the power of death to get me the heck away from this sinking ship.
1: Yeah, well, this is also fascinating, um, Tracy. Be- before we wrap up, uh, give give us an idea, and I don't. It doesn't away too much because I want people to buy your book and I think they should it's a really great book and honestly I've enjoyed not only reading it but also I've started doing things with it and I think it's fascinating it's opened doors for me so I don't give away too much of it but when we talk about practice because this book is also about practice it's not just mm-hmm. a, historical, uh, a historical talk about Santa Muerte and, and uh, historical or, or actual facts it's also about working with Santa Muerte. But if you had a practitioner of magic, practitioner of occult arts, um, who would be interested? Where would you consider that he or she should start with? What's the best path to, to pick up Santa Muerte practice?
2: Um, the best path to picking up Santa Muerte practice is just literally pick her up and start working. Um, there are some <laughs> folks who with working with certain some, some spirits, um, for example, if you're going to do some kind of holy guardian angel operation, uh, may insist that you have, you know, a certain, you know, other set of initiations or a certain, you know, number of years of practice under your belt before you try something so, you know, formative and so powerful, for example. Yeah. Um, Santa Muerte um, is a very powerful spirit on her own. Um, She does not require a lot of uh, psychic juice or psychic assistance from your local practitioner. Um, She works very quickly and uh, works even with people who are not even really well versed in magic or just literally just heard of her. About a month ago, I was in PantheaCon or in San Jose at PantheaCon and I was giving a speech on Santa Muerte. Mm -hmm. And I was in a room, there's probably, oh, I don't know, 50, 60 people in the room. And I was waving my gold Santa Muerte statue at them and giving them my spiel on how wonderful she is. And she is wonderful. Mm-hmm. And I challenged those 60 or so people to try to get Santa Muerte to do something for them right now, right here. Just, just ask her and she will respond. Now, this was a completely random assort, assortment of self-identified witches, shamans, pagans, ceremonial magicians. I mean, it was pantheon. They had you know thousands of people attending this event. So the next day um, I was giving a second talk up in the Red Wheel Wiser Hospitality suite. Suite, and a number of people started coming up to me and they wanted to tell me all with their experience with Santa Muerte. One lady, for example, who described herself as a Dianic witch had asked Santa Muerte for help after she had just lost her uh, wallet that had like her social security card, and all of her credit cards and all these things in it. Uh-huh. Um, she searched around for in a panic for half an hour trying to find the thing, asked Santa Muerte to uh, give it back to her. And five minutes later, she went back to where she had started. The wallet was sitting on a table, a wallet full of money and cards. Credit cards with hundreds of people walking by that no one touched. Mm. So she felt that was incredible. Um, there was a gentleman who was a ceremonial magician, and one of the things that he was trying to figure out how to resolve is he was largely estranged from his family, and uh, he wanted to know how to open up dialogue with his aging father again, who he hadn't spoken to with for many years because okay, his mother had died and so forth. And uh, he went up to my Santa Muerte statue at the end of my presentation, and you know, made his request silently and um that evening a few hours later his father called him out of the blue wanting to talk
1: hmm.
2: interesting <laughs> so yeah. absolutely so it doesn't she's a very responsive spirit um the more you put into her the more you're going to get out of her um uh when i was up at the like i said in san jose in the redwood wiser suite um there was a line of people walking up to her giving her candy the uh, gentleman who, uh Just miraculously spoken with his father, basically, um, was on his knees for 20 minutes praying to her, um, that kind of idea. So um, I would not say that you have to be particularly well-versed in any kind of particular magical path. She's not only for Western European witches. She's not only for shamanic magical practitioners. Uh And and honestly, I think that is one of the strengths of my book is I assume that you have a baseline understanding of magic. Like if I said, do you know what magic is and do you know what a spell is, you'd be able to tell me? (laughs) okay but that's about all I ask from you okay Mm -hmm. I give numerous examples on how to um, incorporate uh, working with Santa Mauritana a variety of different magical practices for example um, there is a contingent of uh, rune mages here uh, locally in New Mexico rune magic is surprisingly popular because there is a German air force base about 250 miles south of Albuquerque near Holloman air force base Mm -hmm. and there are a lot of uh German nationals that are clustered around Sandia and um, Los Alamos National Labs. Remember, this is where we, uh, New Mexico is where they developed the atomic bomb. Yeah. Sure. So um, there is a lot of surprisingly Germanic kind of like a thread in here in new mexico yeah. so consequently you'll run into a lot of rune magicians so i have gotten rune magicians to um you know write bind runes or what have you and instead of praying to you know odin or freya or whatever variety of spiritual patron is they'd actually just substitute in santa muerte and basically use rune magic as a magical language but work with this completely different death goddess and it works just
1: Interesting. fine. Interesting. So. Yeah. yeah. Again there yeah, we hear the chaos magician speak, but that's again a very positive thing because just go out and do it, basically. That's what's important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Tracy, thank you so much for your time. True. To- to finish our interview, um, just let us know what you're up to, if you have any plans that we should know about, if there's anything that you would like to to tell me and our listeners, which we have not been able to talk about in this hour, um, anything that's on your heart that you would like to uh, get out into the world and let us know about?
2: Well, first and foremost, I'd like to thank you for inviting me onto your program. And I'd also like to thank your listeners for listening to me talk at you guys for about an hour regarding Santa Muerte. Um, my next project, if I uh, hope you guys are interested, is uh, it is in the process of being researched now. I'm still working even on a working title. But uh, I am looking at an expanded grimoire of Santa Muerte-oriented spells. Um, it will be – the thing that will be most interesting about it is – Um, When you look at compendiums of spells and how-to manuals available on the market today, they'll answer the usual same sort of questions, you know, how to get revenge, how to get rich, how to get laid. But um, they don't often answer questions that real people have. You know, for example, um, uh, my son was just charged with uh, murder and he's going to prison. Now what? My daughter is being bullied. Now what? Yep. You know, those kinds of questions, real problems, I, I, I'd like to say,
3: you know. not living in the bubble,
2: <laughs> Exactly, exactly. And if you go onto Amazon or if you go down to Barnes & Noble or, you know, any of your local retailers, um, you're going to find um, – spell books and grimoires on how to deal with those kinds of serious issues or real world problems very, very lacking. Since Santa Muerte is a saint of last resorts and she is with people who work on the fringe or live on the fringe by choice or by, you know, necessity or by circumstance. Um that kind of those kinds of spells are actually extremely commonly used and needed and whatnot. So that is what the book is going to contain. Mm-hmm. So not only will it contain all the usual stuff of, ooh, how do I cast a love spell and get a new boyfriend or a new job or, you know, purify my house or drive out an annoying spirit. Certainly all that will be in there, but the real world problems will be as well.
1: Yeah, great. Well, sounds very interesting. Let us know when it comes out and I'll make sure to announce it on the Thoth News section when when it's there. Well, Thank you. Well, Tracy, this was great to speak to you. Thank you so much for your time uh, and for also your openness to talk about all those things very clearly and openly. I'm very glad we finally made it and I wish you all the best for all your upcoming experiences and well, keep us posted.
2: Absolutely. Thank you so much for inviting me on your program. And again, thank you. And also thanks to your listeners for listening to me talk about Santa Marte. I really okay. appreciate it, guys.
1: Thanks, Tracy. Goodbye to Albuquerque and you.
2: <laughs> Absolutely. Bye bye.
1: Death and rituals around this very human moment in our lives has always been of great interest to me. So I really enjoyed talking to Tracy. Apart from the fact that it was very enjoyable to speak to her and hear her big knowledge on the subject. She is at the moment working on that extension to her book, and when it will be appearing I am certainly going to let you know in that famous upcoming news blog on the Thoth Hermes website. Thank you Tracy for this interview and for your time. Now, let me talk to you about a couple of other books that could be of interest to you.
3: Books and Other Reviews
1: The first book I would like to present to you today has been published last December by Lewelyn and has been written by Stephanie Woodfield. It is called Dark Goddess Craft. Somehow, this book is a perfect fit for those of you who have enjoyed the talk and the read of Tracy Rowland's book on Santa Muerte in this episode. Who is the Dark Goddess, you might ask? Well, as Stephanie explains it in her book, she is the goddess of the underworld, the goddess of death, she rules over all that we fear. In this book, the author takes us on a journey through the different traditions of that female deity, which so often represents that part of our life which we call death. But not only about death. You will find descriptions of Greek, Hindu, Northern, Celtic and Roman representations of this goddess. And Stephanie does not limit herself to a historic description of the different traditions, but she gives us instruction and guidance on how to use those powers for oneself. In fact, the way this book is structured, we are guided through, as the subtitle suggests, a journey through the heart of transformation the essence of the book strongly suggests that by confronting the different aspects of this dark goddess this somber entity we can navigate through a process of deep and rewarding change the book is a guide through your own shadow work in your life you will probably all meet those situations not only of death but for example of treason of dependence on material things, etc. And there you will need to go through the dark moments and know how to deal with them and address them. This book is by no means a book for women only. It takes the female aspect as the necessary approach to those questions, but its rituals, invocations and offerings can be done And will be helpful by and for everyone. We now go back to KRPL and listen to their third piece of music for today. This track is called Rest in Pieces. Quite fitting with Algebraic Don Santa Muerte, don't you think so? In this episode, our musical input came from Austrian heavy instrumental rock band KRPL. The last track we heard was called Rest in Pieces. The second book I would like to talk to you about is, in fact, an exception in more than one way. Firstly, it's not one book, but two. Secondly, Those two books are written in German. And third, they have been written by a personal friend of mine and therefore I might have to warn you that I am probably not entirely objective. I am talking about two new books by the great esotericist and occultist Emil Steinar. For those of you who are aware and maybe also working with the books of Franz Barden, Emil might not be a stranger, as he has worked a lot in the follow-up of the tradition of this important Czech magician. Emil Steiner, who will turn 80 next year, has already published 10 books over the last odd 10 years in a series called Magic and Mysticism in the Third Millennium. Starting with a fascinating initiatic novel treating with many different aspects of mostly Hermetic work, they are well known not only among Bardonists, but also among many other Hermeticists mastering the German language. Some of my listeners and Facebook friends know that I am in regular touch with this author, and I have often been asked if and when his work might be available also in English. Now, the reason why I'm talking about this series of books is threefold. First and foremost, it is because after quite a long break, Emil Steinar has released two new volumes to his series, bringing the total count now to 12, volume 11, Is a novel called An der Pforte zur Letzten Laterne, which roughly translates into At the Gate to the Last Lantern. Of course this is not just a novel, but an initiatic book again, where hermetic teachings meet with problems of our time. We are confronted with a world where dream and reality mingle. Steinar also often uses entire phrases by another great author of fantastic occultism, Gustav Meyrink, whose work he is very much aware of. Awakening is the major subject of this novel, and for those of you reading German, in my opinion, a must read. The second new volume, number 12, is a collection of short stories and essays, which goes by the title Träumen kann gefährlich sein – Dreaming might be dangerous. As the title suggests, those stories deal a lot with lucid dreaming and are also accompanied by thoughts and suggestions that the author wants to give to his readers next to his stories. Both those books are perfect additions to the ten previous volumes, deepening and extending the hermetic teachings as supported by author Emil Steinar. The second reason why I present those books is that Emil Steinar has now decided also to reissue all of his ten previous books and has for that reason created his own publishing company which over the coming years will also make the former books available in a handy softcover edition at a nice price and, as I think, in a very cool and modern looking outfit. The first of those books that has already been reprinted is "Exerzitien für Freimaurer Exercises for Freemasons. It's number two in the whole collection and it has not been available for a year or so being out of print. This book is an excellent choice for those Freemasons that are looking for a more esoteric approach of their craft, but not exclusively for them. The third and last reason for this review and announcement is the best part of all. Emile has now decided that his books should also be made available in English and also French. And he is now working to get that project going. If all goes well, the first of his books, this will probably also be the Exercises for Freemasons, will appear on the market in time for Emile's 80th birthday, very early in 2019. In French... It will probably be his books on guardian angels that will go first. You can be assured that in our new section, both releases will be made known to all of you. You can get Emil's books through the usual distribution channels, but also find more information about them on his own website steinar-verlag.com. Well, this is German, so you will find the detail on the Thoth Hermes website in the review section. And again, a new episode of Thoth Hermes is slowly coming to its end. Thank you all for listening, and I do hope you enjoyed our show. Watch out for that new blog that I mentioned earlier, it should be up within 10 to 12 days from now and do participate. Our next episode, number 6 of season 2, should be released in 2 weeks, which will be August 30th, 2018. Its featured guest will be Swedish writer, occultist, or should I say, occulturist, Carl Abrahamson. I think this is absolutely going to be very enjoyable. Talking about Sweden, mid-September in episode number seven, we will stay in that Nordic country as it will finally bring the long-announced return of my friend Thomas Karlsson in an extensive interview. For now, it is time to say farewell And send you all on a night sea journey in the company of the lovely Wendy Rule. I will be looking very much forward to have you back soon. For now I say, take care, stay tuned, hear you soon.